Hello and welcome back to Reality Speaks, where we are here to talk about things. What's really going on in the world? What does the Bible really say? And how should we as Christians be living in this modern world? Well, I'm here today to talk to you about something... Well, let me, let me just find the right way to put this. I saw a video uh, on the internet just the other day, uh, which was a reaction to a particular TikTok that went viral. And for context, I absolutely love this guy's stuff. He's brilliant and uh, all that. And I don't entirely think he's wrong about some things, but it triggered some thoughts. And well, it's turning into a whole entire podcast episode. Uh, about those thoughts about what's really going on in this world, and well, I, I, there, there, I believe there's some good biblical stuff to respond to it. Uh, so I'm just gonna kind of get into this episode. Uh, but to kick it all off, I'm gonna play a clip of the particular stuff that annoyed me, uh, and, and we're just gonna roll with it. So uh, this is. Don't worry, this is been hit with prayer and the word. Uh, it's not just me going to be ranting and raving. In fact, I'm going to somewhat defend some of what this guy says. But I'm also going to drift away and say, but. Okay, but without further ado, let's get into the episode and uh, get to that clip. Now, this is the result of creating phrases for everything. You know where it started? Imposter syndrome. Stupid stuff like that. No, I just doubt. Wait, can we stop with all the phrases? You know what's happened? We've created a condition for everything. That's why people came up with the phrase imposter syndrome. You're not dealing with imposter syndrome. You're dealing with doubt. That makes you a human being. Well, number one, you're not an imposter. And I promise you this, you don't have a syndrome. So that was a clip from the Ken Coleman show. Ken Coleman uh, runs a podcast called The Ken Coleman Show, which is part of the Ramsey Network, uh, which, of course, the flagship show is The Ramsey Show. They, they're really creative with names around there. And Dave Ramsey, head over that, um, runs a podcast discussing finances, takes callers, and gives people advice about all things financial and life and money and uh, etc., Ken Coleman's show uh, takes some callers, uh, gives some advice here and there, and it's all about how to get your dream job to work your way up and to be the best in your career. He's the author of a couple of books, one called The Proximity Principle and another one called Paycheck to Purpose, and his stuff is great. I absolutely love all his stuff. In fact, uh, pastor recently preached the message uh, back at the home church um, called the proximity principle and it was talking about mm, somewhat the principles in the book but primarily talking about getting in proximity to people who need Jesus getting closer to God and uh, etc but I'm here to talk about that particular clip and I'm gonna preface it with this he's not wrong but He's not entirely right either. Here's where I don't believe Ken is one bit wrong about what he said. 
We over-label things to a high degree in modern society. Everything has to have a diagnosis. Um, the particular video, he is responding to a girl on TikTok that said that she struggles with time blindness. Literally means it is that she is incapable of showing up to things because the concept of time <laughs> is foreign to her. Um... Uh, and she asked if the job that she was going to had com had um, compensations or a backup plan for people who struggle with time blindness. Um, that's not a thing. Uh, this tendency to overlabel things is what has led to our uh, world where we believe in 57 different genders. I think I may be understating that and need pronouns for everything and... All, all of that. However, uh, let, let, let me just put it this way. Not everything needs a diagnosis. In fact, what he's mentioned, imposter syndrome, is not a real psychological diagnosis. I, in preparing for this episode, I actually uh, listened to a podcast from Bethany Jennings, uh, where she did a little while back talking about the concept of imposter syndrome. If you've not listened to that, go listen to it. It's only about 20-something minutes long, and it really covers the concept of imposter syndrome really well from a good psychological perspective. Um, in fact, I also looked at the website, psychologytoday.com, in preparing for this episode, and it says, Imposter syndrome is not a medical diagnosis. Uh, it is not... A psychological diagnosis. You're not going to find it in the DSM-5. And honestly, even if you could find it in the DSM-5, I believe there are some things in there uh, that we overdiagnose. We have a tendency to... Uh, we have these things called personalities, and we just decide that our personality uh, is a medical diagnosis. And that really... You, you should just make place for everything. As, as people in the comments of the video were talking about, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I, I can't be nice to people, so you should just compensate for that. Um, you, that's, that's dumb. You, that's not a thing, and I have inability to be nice to people syndrome is not a thing that we should be uh, just making place for, we should find ways to fix it. We, uh, and a good chunk of how to fix a lot of these things is this thing called Jesus. And I'm not one of those people who says, oh, you have depression, uh, you just need to pray more. You have anxiety, you just need to pray more. There are legitimate things that if you would just work with it a little bit, you could you could overcome that through personal growth, uh, some good therapy, whatever. And yes, you do need to pray more, as well as work on yourself. So I'm here, to, however, to address him talking about imposter syndrome. And like I said, yes, it's not a real medical diagnosis. Uh... He said, you don't have a syndrome, and he's not wrong. Uh, in that podcast, 
of Bethany Jennings, she says, imposter syndrome is not even the proper term. That's what pop psychology, the pop culture has created. For their term, imposter phenomenon is the legit acknowledged thing. It feels like a matter of semantics and wording to me, just using different words to say the same thing. But hey, a phenomenon is different than a syndrome. A syndrome is actually a medical diagnosis of several different things all uh, coming at you at once. A phenomenon is, well, it's something that happens among certain people, uh, and it happens often enough that we should look at it. Also, I say we overlabel, but labeling can help if you use it properly. So, so think about it this way. If you label your issue so that you can say, I have this issue, therefore you need to make place for me, instead of, I have this issue, therefore I need to work on this. It's a very different thing. Saying, I struggle with a particular sin or addiction. Okay. That's great that you're acknowledging that. Are you going to work on that? Or are you saying we need to just put up with you? That's a very different thing. I'm willing to put up with you if you're willing to work on your stuff. That's that's my view on this. And I'm not going to just put up with you. I will keep you accountable. Those are very different things. Just saying, oh man, I'm, I'm sorry... I'm unhealthy, but I'm not going to do anything to get healthier. That's a problem that needs to be worked on. Labeling can help if you say, oh, I struggle with this. And therefore, I know I struggle with this. So I need to work on myself so that I'll be ready next time this struggle pops up. I'm, I struggle with this. Therefore, I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to figure out what the Bible says. I'm going to get good spiritual leadership in my life. I'm going to get psychological help. I'm going to get medical help. And therefore, I will be able to handle it when the next thing comes up. That is when labeling becomes helpful. And finally, let's get to specifically what he said about imposter syndrome. It's not imposter syndrome. It's doubt. It doesn't mean you have a syndrome. It means you're a human being. Yes, everyone at times is going to struggle with doubts. But no, not everyone is able to overcome it as easily as other people. And some people's doubts manifest differently than other people. Some people have doubts. And because they have doubts, they work harder. They become the best. And they're going to make sure there's no possible way around it. I'm going to become the best person I can be so that I don't have to doubt anymore and so that no one will doubt me. Some people have doubts and they let it overcome them. And they become a shell of what they could be and they live as less. Some have confidence come to them naturally. And some people don't. Like I said, there's these things called personalities, and everyone has them. And they all have advantages, and they all have disadvantages. 
No matter what personality type, no matter what system you use, everyone has different strengths and different weaknesses. So for context, what do I mean by imposter syndrome? Or phenomenon, uh, if we're going to be as technically accurate as we can try to be. According to psychologytoday.com, uh, people who struggle with imposter syndrome believe they are undeserving of their achievements and, high, and the high esteem in which they are held. They feel that they aren't as competent or intelligent as others might think, and that soon enough, people will discover the truth about them. Here's the simple truth, guys. This is a real issue that people have. Um, it's not just doubt. It is shame. It is fear. It is believing that they are less than they truly are and possibly even believing that even psychology today and even Bethany Jennings podcast mentioned this. It's common in people who have achieved a lot of things, people who have worked hard, people who have gotten multiple degrees, people who have done all, who've read the books, people who have listened to the, to the sermons, people who have been prayed over by great men of God, people who have great prayer lives, people who have been used in the things of God. But Something in them is whispering in the back of their head and saying, you don't deserve any of this. You're not as smart as they think you are. You're not as spiritual as they think you are. You didn't really hear from God. This is not a miracle. This is just luck. And guys, it is a message of the enemy. Now, how do I how do I put this? Yes, there are times that people do think you're more spiritual than you are. There are times that some people get exceptionally lucky, and some people don't deserve where they are. Uh, but God. I, I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said, God governs in the affairs of men. And no man is in power except God allowed him to be there. I, 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 honestly, let's continue the, the same patriotic quote. I, I'm not sure if it's exactly in the same place, but I'm still pretty sure it was Benjamin Franklin who said this. And it was, if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his aid, can a nation rise without him? <laughs> can a person get to a place without God's help? God wants you where you are. I, I, well, if you're sinning and you're the head of a drug empire, I don't think that's the will of God. But I will say, but, but what I'm saying is this. God has allowed you to get where you are. I'm not telling you to become a drug lord. I'm not telling you to become the CEO of some crooked company. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. But if God has allowed you to get to a place of ministry, if God has allowed you 
to reach someone, to have some great Bible study. If God has given you the ability to preach to people, if God has given you some form of influence over people, you have every right to use that for the calling and purpose of God. If God has brought you to become a pastor, a youth pastor, a Sunday school teacher, or some high-level position at work, you don't have to ask, am I really ready for this? And yes, sometimes we end up in places and we're not quite ready for it. That's a truth. But that doesn't mean you have to look at this opportunity and say, I can't do this. I I don't have what it takes. If God has put you there, God can equip you further for his purpose. Now, uh, I think this is where Adam Shaw's uh, concept of increasing your capacity does come into play. If you feel unqualified, if you feel unprepared, that doesn't mean that you should just quit and turn away. Even if you legitimately do feel underprepared. Uh, someone once told me competence produces confidence. Now, there comes a point when you are preparing too much and reading too many books and you should just get out there and do it. And some people don't think about that whatsoever and just jump out there. And they're not the people I'm talking to today, though. Because if you're the type of person who just jumps out there and does stuff, you typically aren't going to be struggling with what I'm talking about. So, uh, that's maybe you should look back and see if you need more preparing. But I'm talking to the people who question things. The people who feel underqualified, unprepared, and out of their league. And people with pure motives. So, all of my caveats out of the way, let's get rolling a little more into what I'm talking about. And let's see what the Bible might have to say about this. Yes, the Bible does have something to say about this. It features multiple people who had these very thoughts and feelings of, am I really ready for where God has placed me? Am I really prepared? Uh, we find in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, we are only five verses into the book when Jeremiah said, when Jeremiah has God come to him and say, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet to the nations. God has spoken. God has called and God has spoken clearly. Jeremiah, you're called to be a prophet. Should you question that? God said it. But, so we know without a doubt, God said it, it's true. That's all we need to know. If God said it, it's true. However, Jeremiah says, Lord, God, behold, I cannot speak. I am a child. But the Lord said to me, Say not, I'm a child. Thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. Whatsoever command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. 
Then the Lord put forth his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. Jeremiah said, In the face of God, saying, You're a prophet, and you have been since before you were born, I can't do this. Am I really ready for this? In the book of Judges, we hear about someone else who was dealing with this, with these thoughts, with feeling underqualified and unprepared. An angel of the Lord steps out and says to a man named Gideon, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? Where be all his miracles which our fathers told us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord's forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked on him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of Midianites. Have I not sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewithal shall I save Israel? My family is poor in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said, If I found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that you talk with me. And angels talking to him, and angels saying that you're meant for more than this, Gideon. You're a mighty man of valor. And he's saying, But I'm poor. But I, I'm the least in my father's house, and my father is the least in our in our tribe. I feel unqualified. Can I really do this, God? And God said, I will be with you. And after he says, I'll be with you, you've got to show me a sign that you're really with me, God. Exodus, for two chapters. I, I couldn't even write the specific little verses in my notes because it is two chapters long when God calls a man named Moses. For, for two chapters, Exodus 3 and 4, Moses and God are going back and forth about whether or not Moses is truly called to do this. And, and, and we, But I, I'll skim a little bit through this. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. He looked out, and behold, the bush burned with fire. The bush was not consumed. And Moses says, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And God calls out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off your shoes, the ground you stand on is holy. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look on God. Smart man. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. I've heard cry by reason of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrows. I'm come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians, and to a land flowing with milk and honey, and the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, and many other ites. And behold, the cry of the Israel has come to me. I've seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, and I will send thee to Pharaoh, that thou may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God's answer, I will be with thee, 
and this shall be a token that I have sent you. When you brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God in this mountain. And Moses has another question. What if they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said, I am that I am. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent you. And he goes on and he says, gather the children of Israel together and and goes on and tells them that you're supposed to come to this land and uh, you're going to go to the king of Egypt and uh, tell him to let the people go, but he's not going to let you go and goes on and on. And Moses says, but what if they don't believe me? And they say, God hasn't appeared to you. And then God shows him the miracle of putting his rod on the ground and it turning to a snake and several other signs. And it goes on and on. And more and more signs. And after hearing all the signs, Moses says, but God, I'm not eloquent. Neither now nor since has spoken unto thy servant, but I'm slow speech and slow tongue. And God said, Who made man's mouth, who makes the dumb, the deaf, the blind? Have not I, the Lord. Go, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. And Moses still has more excuses and says, Oh, send by who you will send. And finally God says, I'll send someone else with you as well. Moses questioned God for nearly two chapters before God finally gets a little mad at his last statement. He It says, send by who you will send. And the anger of the Lord is kindled against Moses. God, Moses questioned God so much that God got a little upset. But Moses isn't the only one who had these questions. We go to Elijah in 1 Kings. Elijah has just had the greatest victory of his prophetic career to date. He went up against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. God answered by fire and they killed multiple prophets. And then we get to the beginning of 1 Kings 19 and Ahab tells Jezebel all that Elijah done and how he slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah saying, let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. He saw that, he arose, he went for his life, he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came down under a juniper tree, and requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. I am not better than my father's. And I just have one question for you guys. Who was Elijah's father's? What, what's the family line of Elijah? No one knows. We don't know nothing about where Elijah came from. We know he's a Tishbite. And that's about it. I don't know where Elijah came from. I don't know who his fathers were. I don't know nothing about Elijah's lineage. But I know Elijah. Uh, and he's considered one of the great prophets of God. The, the, when years later, when Jesus pops up and John the Baptist is on the scene, they say, hey, are you the guy who's walking in the anointing of Elijah? 
because that's a big deal. He, he said, I will send Elijah in one of the last books of the Old Testament. And they were talking about John the Baptist. And when Jesus described John the Baptist, he said, among men born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. The man who has the anointing of Elijah, the mantle of Elijah on his life. These are This is a great man of God. And he says, I'm not better than my father's. He's, he's, but he's now sent to this place of questioning, of his own calling. He runs to the mountain of God, and he's, he said, I've tried my best, God. There's nothing more I can do. I'm ready. Just take me. Take my life. And God's, God's simple answer. He sends an angel to Elijah before he ever makes it to the mountain. And as he lay and slept under the juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. There was a cake, bacon on the coals, a cruise of water his head. He did eat and drink, laid him down. The angel came again a second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat. The journey is too great for you. He goes 40 days on the strength of that food. He fasts for 40 days, makes it to the mountain. And, and he says, It's enough. I'm the only one left. And they seek my life. And they want to take it away. And God shows great, mighty things, but Elijah doesn't see God in the midst of it. God comes to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He goes through his list of excuses again, that he's the only one left. There's no one who wants him except for those who wish to take his life away. And God simply says, go. Tells him, you're not done yet. You're still my prophet, and I've still chosen you. And there's men I want you to anoint. Go. But that's not the only guy who struggles with this that we read about in Scripture. We read about Paul. 1 Corinthians 15.9, he says, I am the least of the apostles. I'm the least of the apostles. Why? I, I'm not even meet to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But the next verse starts with the word, but. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. He said, I don't need the credit I'm not the top tier guy. I'm the least of the apostles, but I am what I am by the grace of God. Am I really ready for this? That's the question that we keep on asking ourselves. When we feel the call of God come to us, when God, I, I mean, maybe it's the appropriate time to be saying this. Maybe you're going to hear this uh, once you get back home from Youth Congress, where a parent, which I hate that I didn't get to go, but I saw bits and pieces. I saw the, the clips that were being shared, and all the people were talking about the great call of God. They always do at these things. The great call of God that you may be feeling on your life. Maybe God has shown you some vision that you're supposed to reach in some faraway nation. Maybe God's shown you that you're supposed to be starting some new club at a school. Maybe God is saying there's a Bible study for you to teach. There's a person for you to reach. Maybe God's calling you to preach, teach, sing, write songs, write books, 
climb a corporate ladder and be in some high position. Maybe God's calling you to something that you think is beyond your ability. We need to be able to say with Paul, I am what I am by the grace of God. To realize God called you. God called you for a purpose. Whether you'll be a Moses, a Jeremiah, a Gideon, a Moses, Elijah, an Apostle Paul. Maybe, maybe you are the next po Apostle Paul. I don't know. Maybe you're the next great prophet of God of our time. Maybe you're the next great prayer warrior. Maybe you're meant to pick up some mantle of some prayer warrior who was in your church that you knew pretty well that you were connected to, but you think, I can't possibly be like her. I can't possibly be like him. You can. God gave you the same Holy Ghost he gave them. The question we must ask is this, whose words matter more? The voice of criticism and question inside your head or the voice of God? God told every one of these men that I've read about in the Old Testament and our one little and our one fella in the New Testament. They were chosen. And he got a little annoyed at God. God got a little annoyed at Moses after two chapters of questions and excuses. <laughs> All of these men had questions. Moses had two chapters of questions. And God was like, hey, Moses, whatever. I'll just... I'll send someone else with you. We don't know how the conversation with Aaron went down, but I wonder what kind of questions Aaron might have asked. I don't know. Aaron had been a slave for his whole life. Moses got to grow up in the lap of luxury. And when he finally stood up, he was rejected. They didn't want to follow Moses. And, of course, I don't doubt Moses' uh, ability to have two chapters of questions and excuses, because I know people. I are one. <laughs> I think it's perhaps due to Paul's own experience that he was able to give advice to others when they had this. Because Paul had rejection hit his life. He had people turn against him. He had been rejected. We read about the many trials of Paul when he finally decides, okay, I'm going to tell you what I went through to get where I am. He talked about perils of uh, his own countrymen. He talked about shipwrecks. He talked about rejection. He talked about the daily care of all the churches that he had to go through. And he also talked about the fact that I'm the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church of God. And because of those doubts that he experienced, now we don't know what what exactly all he had to deal with mentally and emotionally, but we do know this. We do know that because of what he went through, he was able to pass it on to other people. And I, I like what he had to say to Timothy in Second Timothy, or yeah, Second Timothy, I believe. I gotta find my verse here. Hold on, I'm hoping I didn't write it down wrong. I think I might have written it down wrong. Hold on. Alright, I found it. <clears throat> First, Timothy, that's the problem. 
chapter 4, verse number 6. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine wherein thou hast attained. Refuse profane and old wives' fables, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate on these things, give thyself wholly to them, that profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue with them, for in doing this thou shalt both save both themselves and them that hear thee. Now that's where the chapter wraps up. Now, this phrase here, let no man despise thy youth. So Paul's reason that he had to question his own abilities and question his own place in the kingdom of God was his past. He had done bad things. Really bad things. He had killed people. He had drugged innocent people away from their families, locked them up in jail. He had persecuted the church of God. He had torn churches apart. But God called him anyway. God called him anyway, even in the midst of all that. And he said to Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. Now for context, I don't believe this verse was saying, Timothy, you're young, but that don't matter. Ignore the haters. It, it wasn't saying, be a young man, act like a young man. And you're going to just, hey, it's it's fine. God called you and just. No, he didn't say ignore the haters. After telling him, let no man despise the, the youth, he told him how to make sure no man would despise his youth. Paul said, I'm the least of the apostles. And it drove Paul to be a better Christian. It drove Paul to become more. He, he strove, he, he said, I pressed toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. And he had to do that. He had to push to be more because he knew he didn't have the testimony that I walked with Jesus up until. I don't, he didn't have the testimony of Peter and James and John and Bartholomew. He didn't have that I walked with Jesus from the day that Jesus walked this earth. He had the testimony of God came to me after the Jesus deal on earth was all done and there was a church to persecute. And he had persecuted the church. He knew that people would look down on him. And it caused him to question himself. Now, Timothy was a young man in ministry. And he told him, he said, let no man despise thy youth. Be an example of the believers. 
Be the example in your words. Be your exa- Be the example in conversation. Be the example in charity. Be the example in spirit and faith and purity. He said, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Don't neglect the gift of God that's in thee. He says, stir up the gift that's within you. Think about these things. Meditate on them. Give yourself completely that your property appear to all. Take heed to thyself unto the doctrine. Continue in them. Don't get tied up in other thoughts and matters. Honor widows that are widows indeed, he says in the next chapter. Rebuke not an elder and treat him as a father and the, treat the younger men like brethren. Don't be contentious. Don't be a mess. I heard Bishop White preach recently and he talked about hearing somebody described as messy. Messes tend to follow them. Don't be messy. <laughs> Don't be that type of person. You have skills. He wanted Timothy to be able to say to them, hey, look, I've got stuff to show I deserve to be here. I'm not just here because I know Paul. I'm not just where I am because I know Paul. We should. He said to stir up those gifts, to make sure that he was a good, respectable man of God and people wouldn't look at him as the boy that Paul trained. Now this, so so give no one a reason to look down on your youth. That's what Paul means. Let no man despise that that youth. Doesn't mean, hey, people are gonna look at you because you're young, so and they're gonna reject you or whatever. He said, no, don't give them a chance to think about how old you are. Give them a chance to realize, oh my lord, look at that kid. He's awesome. You have skills. You're not just where you are because you know Paul. Another verse of note that come from Paul's pen uh, is in the book of 2 Corinthians. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we, we catch another little verse. And he, he's talking about his own experience. He's not talking about what could happen to someone. He said... This is my experience. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought thy Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Kind of sounds like what you might be dealing with if you deal with this questioning. Do I really deserve this? Am I really ready for all this stuff? And he, he said, I besought the Lord three times it might depart from me. God, I, I want the ability to realize that. And God said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. When I am weak, then am I strong. Let's think about that. Here's an important note to remember. You, in and of yourself, are absolutely 
unqualified to do anything for God. We are nothing. We're just flesh and bone. We're just carbon-based life forms, as an alien might put it. <laughs> we are nothing more than dirt. God formed man of the dust. He said, dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. That's what we've heard so many say at the funerals. From dust to dust, from ashes to ashes, we are nothing. We are, God formed us out of little mud balls, guys. We're not worth uh, anything in and of ourselves. But that's not relevant. God has made us qualified. He's the one who is worthy. Should we strive to be excellent? Absolutely. We should try to do the best. He, uh, Another verse from the book of Timothy. This is my second Timothy verse. I think that's where my confusion came in. I think that's where my confusion came in. Uh, one verse in 1 Timothy, another in 2 Timothy. And in the book of 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15, Study! To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to study. We need to know our Bibles. We need to try and be good speakers. Uh, it, it could do us well to try to be the best we can be. Learn to have uh, w our churches should have pretty websites we should have good photography for our churches it it's awesome if you can have good strong musicians that know how to play uh that they make their they do become better drummers they become better piano players become better guitar players learn to sing well y you know <laughs> there there's a verse in the Bible where he asks for someone who can sing well. <laughs> that That's literally what, what we're asked is, bring me someone who can sing well. There, there's a, a reason, but at the same time, we also need that moment where they say, we know these are ignorant and unlearned men, but I can tell they've been with Jesus. Paul w was trained by the best of the best. Peter was just a fisherman. He was gruff. He was a mess. And it's just the way it worked out. But that doesn't mean... Jesus didn't leave Peter to be the gruff, messy fisherman. He gave him three years of training under the best of the best. He didn't have some, he wasn't a premier biblical scholar, but he was trained by Jesus. So yes, we should strive to be the best, but we also have to remember that it's only through Jesus that anything matters. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from uh, above. Every good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variables, neither shadow of turning. That's James 1.17. But that doesn't mean that you're never going to question yourself. So let me be real. 
I've used all these biblical examples. I've talked about the imposter syndrome experienced by all these great men of God in the Bible. I remember recently, I think it was around about February, March, um, I was invited to preach at my uncle's church. I was, they had me sitting on the platform. I had my little notes in front of me. Uh, I, I'd sketched them down, tried to put them all together. They were not top tier. And in fact, I had, uh, my notes were on my iPad. And my iPad, I had accidentally left at church, at our home church, <laughs> before I sped from the city of Marion, Kentucky, to the city of Madisonville, Kentucky, and in the process, completely forgot my iPad that had my notes on it. I'm sitting there on the front, I'm sitting there on the platform. I have written my notes down speedily on a sheet of paper to try and remember some of the most important notes. And my uncle's up there getting ready to get me up, and he starts talking about introducing the speaker, as, as the pastors do. And he's describing this guy who's the most spiritual, one of the most spiritual, godly young men that he's ever seen, uh, that is the best of the best and all kinds of stuff. And I'm just like, who is this guy you're talking about? Are you talking about the guy that sometimes struggles to pray as long as he should, that 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 has procrastinated on putting together this message, and the guy that his youth group is not not necessarily the best of the best, and they they're struggling. They're so there's so many carnal people in our church, and there's uh, uh, I, I and I'm putting all the blame for so much of this stuff on myself for not being better. And I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking. Who are you talking about? You're not talking about this guy that's about to preach. You're talking about some imaginary guy that you have in your head. And you the only reason this guy's been invited and the only reason you think he's as great as he is is because he's your nephew. <laughs> it's only because I have the same last name as you. I'm not as great as you think I am. That's the thoughts running through my head. I take the pulpit, and I, I do the obligatory. Now, I don't know who he was talking about. You know, try to play it off like you're just being humble. <laughs> uh, and, and But, yeah, th those are the thoughts running through my head. But the real truth of the matter is this. I've never considered the idea of leaving the church. I know there are people I went to camp with. There are people who were in the same who heard the same altar calls and went to the same messages that I did. And by the grace of God, I didn't take the path that they took. They answered the call to preach the same time I did. And by the grace of God, I didn't take the path that they took. I learned his word. I've studied to show myself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed. And as Paul did, 
I've had my struggles. I've had my trials. I've had my rejections. I've had people turn their backs and say they couldn't live the life that I was planning to live. People say, I don't have to do all that. And because of that, they left me behind. Went off and lived their own lives. So yeah, I have stuck with this. We need to remember when God said that he chose you for his purpose you should not question the call of God that's on your life. God did call you. You are chosen for a purpose. He has a reason for you to be on this planet. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you and you are not rejected. You are somebody indeed. Think back to these guys. When, when Jeremiah gave his little, God, I'm a child. I can't speak. God said, say not I'm a child. He had just told him, before I formed thee, I knew thee and ordained thee to be a prophet to the nations. He told Jeremiah, say not I am a child. God had more for Jeremiah. God had more for him. Say not, I'm a child. You will go to all that I will send thee, and whatsoever command thee thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Say not, I'm a child. Moses, he, he said, God, I can't speak. I will be with your mouth. I will be with your mouth, Moses. I will teach you what you should speak. I will teach you what to say. Gideon. God, I'm the least. I'm the least. I'm the least. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family is how the new international version puts it. I'm the least, God. But I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites. Uh, Elijah. I'm no better than my father's. Let me die. And God said, Go, anoint this one, anoint that one, anoint the next one. Elijah, you're still called. And I know Paul didn't necessarily hear these words, but this is what I think of as an answer to Paul's, I'm the least 
of the apostles. I don't deserve to be an apostle. I persecuted the church. I think of this verse in Acts 9.15. Paul has been struck down on the road to Damascus. And, uh, He, he, he's in the midst of his calling. And, and God speaks to a man named Ananias. And Ananias said to the Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But God said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings to the people of Israel. Paul is still sitting blind and has done nothing for God at this point except go where God said go. He's not been filled with the Holy Ghost. He's not been baptized in Jesus' name. And he truly is the least of the apostles right now because he's not answered any calls except the call to go sit in a place called Damascus and see a vision from God that he's meant for more. God has chosen you. I'm reminded of a song we sung back in my junior camp days. And the lyrics went something like this. I am somebody because God loves me. I'm accepted just the way that I am. His love is higher. It's deeper and it's wider than you and I will ever understand. And the song just repeats like that several times because it's a song written for children. <laughs> But God has created you for a purpose. He's called you. And if you've been filled with his Holy Ghost power, then you have what it takes. He will equip you. He will show you. He's given you great gifts. Just pursue God and he will bring you farther than you could ever understand or comprehend. You are somebody because God loves you. You may not feel ready, but he is. And he is with you. Pursue God. And remember, kids, God made you special. And he loves you very much. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, well, you should share it. Share it with someone who's been filling the call of God in their life. Maybe been questioning the call of God in their life. Someone who's stepped into a new season. Into a new realm of working. And feels like maybe they're unqualified. Or maybe just uh, share it to a fan of the Ken Coleman show. I don't know. Someone who is freshly back from youth congress and heard someone preach a message that really touched their heart you should share it though that's that's all i'm saying share this episode 
like, subscribe, rate, and review. Give us all the stars you think we deserve. And I'm just going to tell you, I am somebody because God loves me. No, I'm, I'm, I'm messing with you a little bit. But seriously, I would love it if you decided to rate this podcast. Give us a good review and share it with somebody. Um, I, I noticed uh, that apparently this podcast has made it to Truth Radio, and I was never informed that we made it to Truth, Truth Radio. I don't know if they're putting the newer episodes on, though. So if you know those people, you should tell those people that... Uh, if there's any way that they can get this show back current on Truth Radio, we, I would love it if they would do that because it's it's really great to see that more people can hear this content and I, I love how God does things sometimes. And anyway, thank you for listening and we'll see you guys next week. Goodbye.